Shout out to Pastor Brock for the walk-up music. Some great stuff. Some great stuff. I didn't pick it out because that is made well before my time. Well before. Goodness, that's like... Um, I won't say any more. I might get uh, might get in trouble after this if I do. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty young. If you don't know, I'm 21. So that would make the 80s music at least 10 years before I was born. Great math, by the way. Um, by the way, yeah, I'm Pastor Connor, as Pastor Bucket mentioned. Um, if you had been here the la- last couple of weeks, we've been going through our um, Agape Culture series. And Pastor Brock touched on community and touched on presence. And then um, this week I'll be talking about process. Pastor Brock will pick it up again next week. And he'll be talking about action. And so process, the technical definition of process, if you're curious, is a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. This particular end for us is Jesus. He is the standard for our lives. And we are taking steps with Jesus, not necessarily towards Jesus. I think that sometimes we get this idea that we're on this, this spiritual ladder that we climb, and then, and then we, can, we can look and say, oh, well, I'm here on the ladder, and then this person's here, or, or they're up here, and I'm down here. But we believe that we are walking with Jesus, yoked with Jesus. So it's not this idea that, oh, I'm more spiritual or less spiritual than this person. You can't compare your walk. You can't compare your process with other people's process because you're walking with Jesus. And it's the idea, um, sometimes I think we get it mixed up and we think that people are our projects. But here, Agape, we believe we people are in a process. And so the difference is projects are something to be fixed. And it's this idea that, oh, I can get them to this point and they'll be fixed. But we believe that people are in a process regardless of where they're at. Anyone, Christian, non-Christian, a non-Christian is searching for the truth. The, church is, or the truth is Jesus. And so if you're tr- searching after the truth, you're searching after Jesus. And then us as Christians, we know that Jesus is the truth. And we search after Jesus further. Um, anyway, that being said, just want to preface that. And so we, we are in a process of becoming more like Jesus. Now let's get into the Word a little bit. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. If you want to take out your Bibles, if you have them, bring them out. Otherwise, um, if you don't have them, you can look on the, on the screen. Or if you're lazy and don't want to open your Bible, just look up on the screen. That's usually what I do. Sorry, Pastor Brock. Um, but, so it says, For a while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you gave us your truth in written form so that we could follow along with you and we could follow along with your teachings. God, I thank you for for leading and guiding us and sending your Holy Spirit to be with us. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me and it'd speak to and through me, that I'd be open, have an open heart and open mind, and I pray for open hearts and open minds of all the people here that they would be open to what you are trying to speak to them, God, and they would, um, yeah, they would just be focused on you, God, be able to lay everything else down and focus in on you this morning. We thank you so much for who you are and for your love. Amen. So, um, when I was, you know, when you're young, you're 10, 11, 12, you don't really get the opportunity to work, you know, so my parents had me doing, doing chores and doing all these things, um, and then you, you don't, you don't realize the concept of, like, the fact that you have to buy things, like, your clothes, you know, you just have clothes, your food, you just have food, and, and I'm just like, I never understood the concept, but then as you get older, and as I got older, my parents were like, I started wanting more things, and they're like, well, you're gonna have to save up your birthday money, or your, 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 uh, your Christmas money. That was my p- parents' favorite thing. Well, you know, you better save that up if you want that. And so eventually it was like my birthday money and my Christmas money, they just weren't cutting it anymore. And so you get older, and then luckily at the age of 16, everything opens up for you because you can drive a car. Unless you're from Jersey, they're all just so confusing to make you wait till you're 17 to get your license. I don't understand it. Been there, horrible infrastructure, I'm just saying. Um, anyway, anyway, um, beyond that, everything opened up for me, and I had more opportunities to do work out, cut people's grass, and just all the like little stuff. And I had this opportunity um, to help this lady clean out her house. Um, she was moving, and my my grandparents uh, knew knew her, but I needed a truck because we needed to put everything in the truck and haul it to the dump and get rid of it. I had a car, she had a car, so I got this truck. My grandpa had this old Chevy truck. It was like, I think it was from like 94 or something, but it was in great shape. So the truck's older than I am. I mean, that's not old for age, guys, okay? Just, I understand I'm young, but I'm not saying age, but for a car, it's in great shape. And it was like over 20 years old, and, and so he let me borrow it. And so the job was on a Monday, and on the Sunday before we went to, um, camp, which is cabins, I guess, as you guys call them. It's just like a house on a lake, and they lived on that in that house um, for the summers. And so we were out there, and I was driving the truck back in. I left a little early. had this, like, football thing. I was going to maybe play football that year, but I decided against it, and it was a good choice. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so I was driving back in, and there's this particular spot where you come down a hill, and it changes from thir- from 55 to 35 miles per hour, and that's to me seems like a setup already. You're just you're just asking for it, and so it changes from 55 to 35. And usually I would slow down to the bottom of this hill. You know I'm usually a responsible driver, believe it or not. Not 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 as much anymore, but I'm not gonna go into details. Um, so it changed from 55 to 35, and I decided this time I just wasn't gonna slow down. Why I don't know. So I just go down the hill, and I get to the bottom of the hill, and it goes up a curve after that. And as soon as I get to the bottom of the hill, I look up, and I see a cop. And I'm like, I am done for. I'm never, I will never drive a car ever again. I'm being in prison, probably, by the end. So I didn't slow down at all. And, and of course, like, I I got so nervous. I jammed on the brakes. I was probably going, like, five past the cop. He pulls out. Puts on his lights, obviously. I was already stopped, so I was like, you know, pull over to the side of the road. And, <laughs> and so I pull over, and 
at that point, I'm absolutely helpless. And I know, like, I know I'm in the wrong. I'm going well over the speed limit. There's no excuse. What am I supposed to tell him? Like, oh, the speedometer's off because it's so old. Like, okay, I was going 20 miles per hour over the speed limit at least. And so he comes up, he goes, you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, I think I, think I know. I was speeding. And I may have had a tear or two in my eyes or streaming down my cheek. I, listen, I, I don't know. I was scared out of my mind. I thought I was going to get my license taken away. I'm just saying, are you in that position? Do the same thing? Just saying, do, just let me know when you get in the position. Um, but I was helpless. And to make matters worse, he looks at me in this condition that I'm in, and he says, you're going 62. He said, that's the fastest that I've ever seen someone go at this spot. And I was like, can you not see that I'm distraught? Absolutely distraught. I'm like, I, my life is just in his hands right here. And, he just, and he's just playing. He's toying with my emotions. He knows that I'm just like, I am absolutely distraught. And that's what he chooses to tell me. So I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, I'm definitely in some big trouble now. And then I'm looking for the license. And well, I got my license, looking for registration. Couldn't find the registration. Horrible. I'm just thinking, this couldn't have gone worse. And, and then he, he's like, OK, where are you headed to? And I was like, oh, I'm going over to this football thing. And he was like, all right. He's like, let me tell you. He's like, you find that registration, have it at your house tomorrow, and I'll come by swing by between like four and six and I was like okay fine that's that works and so I find the registration it was in the truck never comes by the next day just never showed up just insane but the the idea when I was in my car and I was in that moment I was helpless I was it was my fault there was nothing I could do to make that situation better I was at his mercy there's nothing that I could do this is a spot that Paul says that we were in when Christ died for us. I'm going to go back and read a little bit. In verse 6, it says, For a while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Something that we have to understand is that Jesus didn't die for us at our best. He died for us at our worst. He saw us in that helpless state. God saw us in that helpless state. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. We were broken. And he saw us and he died for us in that state. I think a lot of times, like, I like to think in, in my head, I'm like, well, well, God saw, like, like potential in me. He saw the, the good that I could do. And then he died for me. No, 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 no. God saw the bad in me, and then he sent his son, and he loved me, and his son died for me on the cross. He died for us at our worst. He could have punished us, but instead he took that punishment upon himself when he died upon the cross. That's the punishment that we deserved, but instead he took that upon himself. And I think that that's something that we all need to wrap our head around is the fact that it, we were at our worst we were at our least. We were helpless. There was nothing that we could do for ourselves. So Jesus died for us, showing his love toward us while we were yet sinners. And this is the beginning of the process, is knowing that Jesus died for us at our worst. 
then we accept that, repent, and love him back. And so understanding that concept is the beginning of a process of becoming more like Jesus, is knowing he died for you at your worst. And this, this is not the end of the process. This is the beginning of the process. This isn't, oh, like, like the, the project I talked about. This person's not a project, and we don't push them along to now they're finished, and now the, pro- the process is over. The process begins when someone is saved. I think that the church sometimes, we've all been guilty of this. I feel like we see a person, and we try to push them along. We push them along as a project, and then, and then it, it's done. They're saved. It's a great goal to have, a person to be saved. But that's not the end goal. That's the start of the process now of becoming more like Jesus. The process of discipleship, we are called to make disciples, not just save people. Called to disciple people. And I think that's, that's, that's the beginning of our process. Um, it goes on in Romans to say, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The word justified in the Greek means to render as just or innocent. We are made perfect now by his blood, no longer deserving of his wrath. So so not only did he, he save us, but then he made us perfect in God's sight. And so God sent his son Jesus, he died, he saved us, and now God views us as perfect and as innocent. God accepts us, God loves us where we're at. He died for us at our worst. That's something that, that Pastor Brock was talking about up here is the idea that we're accepted, that we are loved, that we are justified. That's something that's so foundational in the idea of becoming more like Jesus because if you misunderstand the idea of justification, um, you'll live your life trying to justify yourself before God rather than knowing and believing that you are justified and you live out of that acceptance. Uh, Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead work and of, of faith toward God. And I think, he, I think the, the author of Hebrews here is addressing this elementary teaching of that we are justified. We are made perfect. We are made whole. And if we don't lay that foundation correctly, we don't lay that foundation right, we start to build on top of that foundation and it, you know, and it's it's a little bit off. Everything's a little bit off, or it all comes crumbling down at some point. It doesn't feel it just feels off to try to be fighting to justify yourself. Um so that same grandpa that let me borrow his truck, um, we uh, it was three summers ago, summer after my freshman year of college, I realized I could make a little more money than I was making back when I was 16. Because when you're 16, you kind of get exploited for your labor. People are like, oh, well, this person is strong enough now to be able to do some work that I don't want to do. And they're also dumb enough to take like $150 for two days' work. Or something, you know. So I don't know how much I made from the last jobs, but I just remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, $150. I was like, you can get anything with that do anything I want, but yeah, and I probably had like 500 in my bank account, it was a huge deal, but then I realized I could make a little more, and so I worked with my grandpa and his friend, and then his friend's grandson some, and we had all types of fun, it was a great summer, we were uh, putting siding on places, we built decks, stain decks, 
We did all types of things. We painted. Painting's not that fun. Don't exactly like painting. Um, anyway, all kinds of fun jobs. At the beginning of the summer, however, we did this job for this guy um, who wanted to build onto his deer camp. And if you don't know what a deer camp is, it's like a little cabin. It's usually really poorly built in the middle of nowhere. And it's where all the guys go out to stay during deer season, the season where it's legal to shoot deer. And they just hang out and usually uh, have a few uh, beverages of sorts. Not going to, you know, you can, you can guess what they, they do. And they, um, and so this guy had a deer camp, our deer camp. Um, uh, Pastor Brock and Pastor Bob know this was a, was a trailer, like a, like, a, um, like a camper in the middle of the woods hooked up to a generator. That was our deer camp. That was paradise right there. Have a fire every night. This guy had a little had a little cabin, and he decided it wasn't big enough, and so he wanted to build onto his deer camp. And I mean, he, so then he decided he decided to lay a foundation for this for this deer camp. He decided to do it himself. Now, probably not the best idea. I mean, he knew kind of what he was doing, but he should have left it to to my grandpa and his friend. Because they were the real masters with it. And so the problem was that the foundation was, it wasn't poorly done, but it wasn't done perfect. And, and it, the angles were like a little bit off. And so the whole time that we were um, building the framework on the foundation, we ran into some problems figuring out like the angles and everything. And we had to like, you know, we had to cut some corners. We had to, to do some things to make up for the mistakes in the late foundation. Luckily, he did an, o- an okay job, good enough, um, but it still screwed up the whole process of the building. I think that's something that, that happens um, when we create our foundation and we lay a foundation thinking that, that we have to justify ourselves by our, our own doings and our own works because we have a misunderstanding that Jesus justified us before the Father through his blood and made us perfect already. And so we get this idea that we have to work, and we have to work to, to, um, to be worthy of that justification. But we need to lay a foundation um, based, on, based on the fact that we are justified, based on that truth. We talked a lot about, Pastor Brock talked about the lies that we speak over ourselves, that we're not good enough. I think that that comes from the fact that we misunderstand justification. And we have to speak the truth over ourselves that God right now views us as innocent and perfect. We don't have to do anything for God to view us any better. He saw us at our worst and died for us at our worst and then saw us as perfect. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything to work to, to fix that. And that misunderstanding of justification, I think, is what leads to a works-based gospel. Um, the people who, the, there's, this, there's this idea, and I think a lot of us, um, have it just just ingrained in us that we 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 work and then we're justified, okay, and and then we're loved and accepted. Um, but the that's not the process. The process is that we are loved and accepted and justified before the Father um, through Jesus' blood and through faith in Jesus, and then our works are a natural outflow of that. Um, accepting justification allows us to focus on Jesus, and then out of that flows 
our works. When you, f- when you focus on Jesus and not yourself, the works-based gospel is a self-focus. It's what can I do better? What can I, how can I be better? How can I stop sinning? But a, a Jesus focus is how can I be more like, like Jesus? And, and naturally, I mean, we have this book called the Bible, and, and the Holy Testament is essentially a story of Jesus' life and his teachings. And the whole Old Testament is still is leading up to Jesus. It's a story of God's people. If you want to know more about Jesus, you naturally would open up your Bible. You naturally would pray and have a relationship with Jesus. You naturally would want to do those things if that's the goal. If Jesus is the goal, you're going to love people. So Jesus said to do loving people, loving God and loving your neighbors encompasses all of the laws. Encompasses all of the works. If you're loving God and you're loving people, it encompasses everything. And I think that that's just so important. That that misunderstanding is what leads to that that works that works-based gospel. Um, we need to know, lay the foundation that we are justified, we are perfect. Focus on Jesus and then walk with Him. This process of becoming more like Jesus instead of the works-based gospel, which leads to a self-focus. And then also that self-focus um, leads to another really um, terrible thing, comparison. And it's this idea that when you're focused on yourself and you feel like you have to justify yourself before God, you start to try to justify yourself before other people too. You try to say, well, well, I mean, look at what I'm doing. It's not like what they're doing. Or, or it's, look at what they're doing. Like, I'll never be able to do what they're doing. But it's not about that. As I talked about earlier, the process of becoming more like Jesus, we walk with Jesus. It's not this idea that I'm this much closer, I'm this much further from Jesus as the other person. It's that I'm walking with Jesus, and this person is walking with Jesus. I'm not worried about their works. I'm not worried about my works. I'm concerned with and focused on Jesus. The focus is not on self. The focus is not on other people because at the end of the day, their opinions don't matter. The opinion of God matters, and God views you as perfect. God views you as spotless, and God died for you already. So it doesn't matter what they think. Matt, you can come on up if you want to. Um, but yeah, this, this idea of we need to focus and lay the foundation of truth. And that has to do with the fact that we are saved, we are justified, and we are made perfect. And now we can start to build on top of that, not by our works, but by God's works. That's the most important thing. Moving on to verse 10, it says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Or, um, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Um, the definition of reconciled is made favorable. So we were made favorable now in God's eyes. So not only did he save us at our worst, he also um, made us perfect in God's sight, made us innocent in God's sight, and then not only that, he made us favorable in God's sight. So he didn't just save us, leave us where we were at in our, in our wretched state, in our broken state, in our helpless state. No, no, he saved us. 
And then he justified us, made us perfect in God's sight. And then he made us friends with God. He reconciled us to God. He didn't leave us where we were. He brought us through, not by our works, but by his works on the cross. I think these verses go very clearly through a process where we were enemies. It says we were enemies. Then he died for us. Again, then we were justified and made innocent. Then we were reconciled, returned to favor. And then he rose again, which saved us from the penalty of death. It says, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Talking about his resurrection. When he resurrected, when he lived a perfect life, so he defeated sin. And then he died and he rose again and he defeated death, the penalty for sin. So he defeated sin and he defeated death, the penalty for death, or for sin. So he rose again, saved us from the penalty of death. And it says, because of this, it says, not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now because of all of that, that is why we praise him, because we recognize all that he has done for us. He has made us perfect. We don't praise him so that we can be perfect in his sight. We don't praise him as, a, as, a, as an act unto him so that we can be better in his sight. We praise him because we are perfect. We praise him because we are innocent in his sight. We praise him because we are his friend. That's why we praise him. Our praise and our works and everything, they come out of the fact that we are loved and accepted. And now we love and accept him back. It's foundational. It's foundational in our faith. And I think sometimes we even get caught up in this idea. You're like, well, well, well now I'm, I'm saved and I'm perfected, but what happens when, when I sin again? Well, what then? It says in, in Hebrews, it goes on to say, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And this idea that we are perfected forever. He didn't die on the cross and save everything that we just did when we accept it. And now every time we have to go back and say, God, God, save me. No, no, he saved you. He made you innocent. You don't have to go back and beg God to make you innocent again. He said, for all time. He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So this idea of sanctification is where we're in the process of becoming more like Jesus. We are being made holy. And that's different. We are made perfect, and now God is making us holy through the power of his Holy Spirit, that we, the gift that we receive upon accepting Jesus into our hearts. We're being sanctified. We are already justified. We don't have to justify ourselves anymore. And now if you don't know Jesus, you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, but you want to start on this process of becoming more like Jesus. You want to join in where you're at. Know that he saved you at your worst. He saw you at your worst. And that's where he loved you. That's where he accepted you. That's where he died for you. And with every head and with every eye closed, if you're interested and you want to join in this process of becoming more like Jesus, you want to accept the gift of love that he's given you, you want to accept the fact that you are accepted, 
and you want to you want to repent and you want to love him back and start your process just go ahead and raise your hand just go ahead and raise your hand people You can go ahead and put your hands down. God, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much for justifying us. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. When we didn't deserve it, we were broken, we were helpless. We were alone, we were afraid, God. We were enemies of you. And you saw us and you died for us and you loved us. And we thank you so much for that perfect gift. Remind us of that as we walk. Remind us that we are justified every single day. Let's lay the foundation that we are justified. Help us to remember that, Father, as we walk with you. And God, help us to just every day wake up, focus on becoming more like you. For the focus would not be on ourselves. The focus would be on you, God, how we can love you better and how we can love others better, God. It's such a simple gospel, loving you and loving others. It's so simple, God. We just thank you so much for who you are and your character, what you've done for us and what you're going to do for us, Father. We just thank you for who you are. Amen.